Welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the podcast where we read Patrick Rothfuss's The Wise Man's Fear page by page. This is page 464. Pointless searching and planted myself in one of the open-air cafes where I drank coffee and tried to find inspiration for the song I owed, The Mare. Ten hours I spent there, and the only act of creation I accomplished was to magically transform nearly a gallon of coffee into marvelous aromatic piss. That night I drank an unwise amount of scootin' and fell asleep at my writing desk. Mellowin's song was still unfinished. The mayor was less than pleased. Denna reappeared on the seventh day as I wandered our haunts in Severn Low. Despite all my searching, she saw me first and ran laughing to my side, excited to tell me about a song she'd heard the day before. We spent the day together as easily as if she'd never left. I didn't ask her about her unexpected disappearance. I'd known Denna for more than a year now, and I understood a few of the hidden turnings of her heart. I knew she valued her privacy. I knew she had secrets. That night... We were in a small garden that ran along the very edge of the shear. We sat on a wooden bench looking out over the dark city below. A messy splay of lamplight, streetlight, gaslight, with a few rare sharp points of sympathy light scattered throughout. I am sorry, you know, she said softly. We'd been sitting quietly watching the lights of the city for nearly a quarter hour. If she was continuing some previous conversation, I couldn't remember what it was. Beg pardon? When Denna didn't say anything immediately, I turned to look at her. There was no moon, and the night was dark. Her face was dimly illuminated by the thousand lights below. Sometimes I leave, she said at last, quick and quiet in the night. Denna didn't look at me as she spoke, keeping her dark eyes fixed on the city below. It's what I do, she continued, her voice quiet. I leave. No word or warning first, no explanation after. Sometimes it's the only thing that I can do. She turned to meet her. She turned to meet my eyes, then her face serious in the dim light. I hope you know without my telling you, she said. I hope I don't need to say it. Denna turned back to look at the glimmering lights below. But for what it's worth, I am sorry. We sat for a while, then, enjoying a comfortable silence. I wanted to say something. I wanted to say it didn't bother me, but that would be a lie. I wanted to tell her all that really mattered to me was that she came back, but I was worried that might be too much truth. So rather than risk saying the wrong thing, I said nothing. I knew what the end of the page was, huh? My name is Nick. I'm Jordana. I'm Jeremy. I can't help but feel that if Quoth had said these things, then that they would have been the right things to say. Like, maybe that's what she wants to hear. That is the tragedy of it. Indeed. It's it's especially tragic because I think we can totally understand Quoth's point of view. Like he's he really doesn't want to mess this up and he's seen how other people have. And we've all been teenagers in love who can't express that because we're so afraid of a negative result, you know, so we, we don't do anything about it. 
But I think that we're meant to find this kind of tragic that he and kind of like frustrating that we all kind of know that if he did say these things, Denna would like to hear them. Yeah. Although like I, I understand why he feels like that one thing is too much truth, although I don't agree that it is. Yeah, it's the kind of thing where I, I don't know. We chalk up a lot to him being a teenager, but I, I guess I get that like it's you know it's the mortifying ordeal of being known. Exactly, exactly. The risk involved in saying what you actually mean if it is, you know, perhaps too too much truth to it, if it's too vulnerable. Yeah. Uh, and maybe, you know, again, teenager, the teenager excuse only goes so far, but, you know, when you're a teenager, you're perhaps not used to that risk and you're not used to having someone take that risk on you. And we, we've talked about this, this before. Not only are both of these characters teenagers, but they are also, we can reasonably assume in Dennis' case, and we have evidence for in Quote's case, they're traumatized teenagers, right? Who have a lot of trouble making themselves vulnerable. So I think that's adding a little extra spice to the stew. The way Denna talks about her disappearance is interesting to me because it sounds like it's kind of, she's not responsible for it. You know, it's what I do. I go well, also there's a, there's a note on this page specifically mentioning where the moon is or well, in this case is not. I'm going to I'm going to get to that. Oh, I've got stuff to say about the moon. Okay, okay. <laughs> I I will not step on your toes then. But <laughs> But first, I just want to point out that the way it's framed is like I don't have a choice. I leave. It's what I do. It just happens to me. And that you could take that as this is m- the way that I protect myself. This is the pattern that I'm into and it's the only way I know how to protect myself. But you could also kind of frame it as a magical thing happens where I am teleported (laughs) away uh, sometimes and I have no control over it. You you could frame it that way. You could frame it that way. You know, one one could frame it that way. And so, Jordana, let's talk about the moon. The moon is not in the sky. There is no moon in the sky. There is no moon and the night was dark. And then immediately after the very next sentence... Her face was dimly illuminated by the thousand lights below. Now, the reason we see the moon in the sky is that it's reflected light from the sun. And uh, in the very same sentence as we talked about the moon not being there, we are told that Denna's face is reflecting light, illuminated by the lights below. Now, this, uh, you know, generally, when, when I was taught about page structure as a lad in elementary school i was told that you need to have a new paragraph when you have a new idea now these two ideas which seem to be disparate are in the same paragraph separated by not but a period do you think perhaps there is some significance to the juxtaposition of the absence of the moon and the reflected light on the face of denna being next to each other and perhaps If we could go one step further, we might say that the moon also sometimes disappears without word or warning first. It's what the moon does. The moon disappears sometimes. There is one really like giant flaw in this in this theory. Beyond beyond the fact that like like saying that her face is reflecting light and the moon also reflects light, like they're two totally different kinds of light. But either way, sure, there's reflecting happening. But another problem is that even if there's no moon tonight, like there's going to be a half moon at some point. Is only half of Denna in the world when there's a half moon? How does that work? 
I, all I'm saying is that there is some uh, thematic and symbolic significance to the way that they're, the moon and Denna are put together on this page. That's all I'm saying. I'm not necessarily saying that Denna is here because the moon is not in the sky. But I, I do think that there is some significance to the moon being talked about and then the reflected light of the lamps below being uh, illuminating Denna's face. Now... I'm just a simple country theory debunker, but I must concur with my colleague uh, when he asserts that there is some significance to the connection, repeated connection, between Denna and the moon. And I put it to you that it is not outside the realm of possibility that Denna is only on Earth because the moon ain't in the sky. That's uncharacteristically generous of you, Jeremy. But Denna must be on Earth at some point when the moon is in the sky because there are not that many nights with no moon in a row. And Denna saw Quoth several days in a row with no with, with like. Yeah, and we we have also seen Denna and the moon together. Like it's not like we never see the moon in a scene when Denna is there. So I'm I'm not supposing that she is literally only present when the moon is not. But I'm wondering if there is perhaps some relationship, perhaps a sympathetic relationship of some kind between her. We know that she is alive under strange, potentially magical circumstances. So maybe there's some relationship. Now, I don't wish to feather another hand's nest, but I can't help but point out, but one of the things that uh, all wise men fear is a night with no moon. A night just such as this. Ooh... See, that's my favorite note so far, because I do like the things that wise men fear. I like the I like <laughs> finding those in the story. Is that because you like himbos better than you like wise men? I don't know. What's a himbo again? It's a hot dumb guy. Oh, oh, that would that would that would no no. <laughs> I think Jordana just likes when the titles <laughs> when titles show up in the in the prose. I was gonna say if I were to state that I liked himbos, that would not paint Jeff in a good light. So, Jordana, I hate to break it to you, but Jeff no! is a big time himbo. <laughs> he does not. But himbo is positive um, connotation. Himbo is a far more positive connotation than bimbo, which is, you know, perhaps problematic. But I think we're we're reclaiming bimbo also. On to are we finished talking about Denna and the Moon? Probably not, but for this page, yes. I mean, yeah, for this page, we are done. We're definitely not done overall. I also want to talk about Quoth having what I would identify as writer's block on the at the top of the page here, where he has he's just like sat in a cafe for like ten hours. He's trying to get it out, and whatever he can't get out is like is garbage. And he just kind of sits there trying and trying and trying. It all amounts to nothing, and then he he drinks himself into despair. Extremely relatable. It also feels very tropey, though. Yeah, but, you know, tropes come from somewhere. I, I know, I know. I get, like, this kind of bugs me. Like, Quoth, you wanky little turd. Like, just produce something. Just because Denna's not there doesn't mean that you can't, like, just deliver something, you know, make some notes. I don't know, man. Develop a yeah, method. But, like, he does, and it's bad. Like, that's what that's what the result ends up being. Yeah, I guess. But will the mayor know it's bad? Yeah, the yeah, mayor is, like, mad at him. The mayor's mad at him because he hasn't done anything. No, he's no. The song is unfinished. He probably, and the mayor is less than pleased, which tells me that he like presents like, here's what I've got so far. I'm still working on it. And the mayor's like, this is garbage. No, it tells me that he just hasn't made anything. And the mayor's like, what are you doing with all this time I gave you? Well, and here's the other thing. This is funny because Quoth 
made it clear a couple of pages ago to the mayor, like, I don't need any of your poet's nostrums. I just need knowledge of my subject and time to write. But like all artists, he is a liar. We actually do rely exclusively on the muse. And if the muse is not present, you must simply drink yourself into despair. Yes, it is known. But I think what is actually relatable to me here is that I too have been in a situation where I like have to produce some work, some writing or whatever. And I am not inspired for whatever reason, but I still have to do the thing because there's a deadline coming up. And I know while I'm doing it that what I'm producing is bad, but I have to make myself do it. And the result is unsatisfactory. And like, sometimes that's just what you got to do, right? Like the actual answer is you can't rely on the muse. You have to just train yourself to output, you know, X many words a day or, you know, X hours worth of work. And if it turns out to be crap, well, you're still working that muscle and eventually you'll produce something worthwhile. Not everything is a winner. This is another like weird risk that Quoth has taken, which is apparently hanging the entire production of this song on Denna's being present. And I, I know he's not like framing it in that way. Um, it just is that he, you know, because he's transmuting his love for Denna into the words for Mellow and Lackless, it's like working. Um, that's the alchemy. I get it. But I still, this is another moment where I go, oh, both like, come on. There, and maybe this is just because like I work in an industry that is like bent to like every element of the industry that I'm now working in is like bent to producing even when there's no like creative juices flowing, like it's all about methodologies and it's all about, you know, finding new ways to, to create and iterate and things like that. But I'm just going like, Oh, Quoth, come on, make a Kanban board. Quoth, come on. <laughs> Quoth has not been inundated with productivity culture yet. What, re- what Quoth really should be doing is microdosing LSD. He just has to break it down into epics and then each epic into stories and then each story into tasks and then lay them out on a board and tackle the uh, the tasks that he is most able to tackle now. Nick, we're going to make you Quoth's project manager. Yes, please. All right. Well, uh, in that case, I'm appointing myself this podcast's project manager and I'm moving that we, uh, we, we move on to new business on tomorrow's page. Uh, okay, but we have to have a retro and make sure that our story point estimates were were in alignment. Otherwise, we are not in lockstep going into the next sprint. Oh, you know what? Can we circle back to this at our next stand up? <laughs> the wind. 